And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. And we're here. Welcome, everybody. Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP. And I was going to say Danny Ratliff, CFP, but it's John Penn. Good morning. We just change him in. We, 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 we have, like, they're like blocks. We inter- we, like uh, Legos. Like Legos. We got the John Penn Lego today. Plug and play. Plug and play. We're plug oh, and players. So, you know, today, Houston Rodeo, the trail riders hit Memorial Park this afternoon. Now, for those who aren't from Texas, mm. you might want to explain that. Well, the big rodeo comes to town, and you have all these trail riders. How many miles do they go? It depends on where they're coming from. But there, it's amazing to see. Yeah. They went through Tomball yesterday, which is a town out here. Yeah. Um, now, I know for sure, I can say with 100% certainty, the horses are going to be safe, regardless of the crime in Houston. Do you know why? No. They don't have catalytic converters. That is true. <laughs> and they're probably better drivers than those folks in Houston as well. <clears throat> and the roads You can probably are, just let the horses go and they'll be just fine. And the <laughs> roads are pretty much the same as the old west. Back in the olden and, days. And so uh, we're all good. Mm-hmm. But it's barbecue and we all love barbecue. Is the is yeah. the Houston livestock show and rodeo still the world's largest? That was the the boast for certain, years. But I don't know offhand. It's very always, well could be because be, yeah, it's pretty you, big. It is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, so it's really uh, there's, there's a lot of pork in the budget, but there's also a lot of pork at the livestock show and rodeo. A lot of pulled pork <coughs> barbecue. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, vegans who are listening, I don't mean to stress you out this morning. Um, nothing wrong with vegans, by the way, but that might distress you. I don't like watching those videos. I watch these videos sometimes. They come across with the poor pigs locked in the... Ch- oh, my, oh, my gosh. Um, so, speaking of pigs, <coughs> NVIDIA. Holy moly, the valuation on that thing. $2 trillion valuation, mm-hmm. right? We got this AI chip demand that is out of control. Now, listen, I think we're in the tulip stage. And it's okay. I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm tiptoeing through them. And I'm enjoying them. But I also know that eventually these tulips die. This is the cool part of markets, John. I think the narratives are fun. And you have to invest with the narrative. You have to go with the theme. We sort of always like to say that we have, we have one leg in the theme camp and we have one leg in the value camp mm-hmm. because – Paul McCulley from PIMCO, remember him? Mm -hmm. Coolest guy, best writings during the financial crisis said, you all think you're value investors. You all fooling yourselves. There's no such thing and there never will be any such thing as a value investor because we don't want to plant a seed in the ground and wait for the tree to grow. We want to plant a tree in the ground and wait for it to get bigger. And there is something to be said for momentum. 
but you also need to remember that you don't fool yourself to think that this time is different. That's the big lie. Consistently, whether you're a novice investor or advanced, they tell themselves. This will always be. And that's not the case. So this is uh, from the Wall Street Journal. The chips are so valuable, they are delivered to the networking company Cisco Systems by Armored Car. Wow. Listen, I, AI is definitely a thing. The internet was definitely a thing. Electricity was definitely a thing. Radio was definitely a thing. These are things. These become mainstream. The problem is you don't know when the tulip dies. Because in your mind, you're still going to see these beautiful tulips. So I have implored everybody, and we have done the same, even though we own, is there's nothing wrong with trimming out those profits. Right, John? I mean, you have to keep, you know what I tell clients? We go with the madness of crowds, but we're not mad. We know the exits, right? So <clears throat> you have to keep a level head. And I would say this whether the market was down dramatically, but this euphoria is and will burn. And it's going to burn hot. And some people are going to be caught holding the bag. What it's, do you kind think? Of that, it's kind of that fear of missing out mentality a little bit too where it kind of pulls you in. It's it like, does. I don't it's know if I really want to invest, but I see everybody else investing. It's got to keep going higher. It's got to keep going higher. So I just, I just got to get in. Um, and you know, you're right. And we do own NVIDIA. It's part, it's part of our it portfolio. We own, it. Right? we own AMD. We own Google yeah. and the stock portfolios. Listen, we understand. Yeah. But just well, like your reference to tulips, it's okay to prune, right? You got to prune these plants and prune it back. Take some profits, right? You don't have to necessarily rip the whole tulip out of the ground, right. but you kind of manage it along the way, right? And seasons change. Markets have seasons and these seasons change. So you have to go ahead and keep a level head. Don't be down on the ground with the tulips. Stay it up and say, whoa, look at that. And it's okay to have more than just tulips in your garden, right? Absolutely. So have a, you know, have a diversified garden. I mean, tulips are You want are something maybe more robust, right? So the whole point is you, want to, you, you do absolutely want mm -hmm. to diversify. I know that's – and again, I think that word in this industry gets thrown around dramatically because you're still going to lose money. <laughs> you're diversified unless your diversification elements cash you're still going to lose you're going to lose less you can have less volatility maybe but you're still going to lose diversification is being touted as some panacea or way to save your portfolio from losses is ridiculous um but it can i mean it can level out the volatility there sure. are going to be days when dividend stocks do better there's nothing wrong with owning companies because they have great cash flows and they're not part of your narrative and they pay a consistent dividend. So I always like the fact that we have these two legs in the equities market and then we wrap each of these positions around standard deviations and we know whether they're overbought or oversold. If the, if the stock is ridiculous so from a fundamental perspective, we're not gonna own it. But this risk, this, this risk or taking on of risk bleeds into everything. Bitcoin, right? Now, I heard a guy yesterday saying Bitcoin's going to $500. Maybe that's true, but now all the Bitcoin people are up. And I have nothing wrong with Bitcoin. I've owned Bitcoin for six years. Um, I own a piece of it. I just hold on to it. I know it's really, is. there's nothing behind it but hopes and wishes 
but it's, it's, it's interesting to see the personality. Every investment you own has a personality. So you got to have even temper. It's like, it's like you have, yeah, I only have one child, but you have always, it's like the wild child mm-hmm. and the calm, cerebral, critical thinking child, right? And you don't know what, but you need to have a portfolio like this. You can't have all these wild childs because you're not going to be able to rein them in. You're going to have to have some of the calm, cerebral ones. It's very, very important. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about Social Security and pensions. Sometimes it's uh, oil and water. Can't mix them very well. A real-life experience when we get back. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Nothing sinks a marriage quicker than money issues. If the Valentine's Day glow has faded, promise you'll respect your lover's credit. Communicate about your money and share together our first candid coffee for 2024. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Saturday, February 24th. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will have money tips to help revive your financial harmony. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Five Money Habits of Unhappy Couples. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I'm thinking, oh, I got off on Saturday, but then I realized, no, I don't really. Candid Coffee. Mm. Um, now I'm happy about it. Not really. Um... Lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. And you should be there with lots of coffee. Five money habits of unhappy couples. And what? And, and then happy couples, right? Yeah, we're going to have happy couples too. What do happy couples do? What do people do when it comes to money? Um, so we want to share that with you. We do have a pretty decent turnout, but it's just before you start your day, 8 o'clock. Sign up at realinvestmentadvice.com. And maybe Danny will wear pants, but there is no guarantee. That's the mystery. <laughs> That's always the mystery. Because you only see the top part of the camera. You're saying, <laughs> what's going on? The dogs and the kids. <laughs> but it, it's really, it's designed to be very educational. And even if you feel you do have good money habits with your spouse or your partner, it's good to tune in and just get a feel for things you need to maybe reinforce that you've forgotten. Um, we all know money issues can really break a marriage and sometimes it's irreparable. I, I have worked with couples that, um, I mean, even stuff done by accident or one became hooked on some hobby. I, I mean, I've seen finances and, and it's what I've noticed, John, it's the lack of communication. It's not even the fact that there's an issue. It's the lack of communication and that one party finds out by surprise. It is. And I've had conversations. I mean, you've, we've been working with folks for, for a long time. <laughs> long time. Um, 
I'm, and I feel very blessed to say that, but mm-hmm. there have been times where, and there are conversations where I'm on the phone or I'm in a meeting with one spouse or the other, maybe one <clears throat> spouse is present, the other one is not. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get the, hey, hey, John, I would, uh, I would appreciate it <laughs> if you wouldn't let my significant other kind of know about that. And I was like, oh, well, this just got interesting, right? I mean, it happens. You're stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle. Stealing uh-huh. wheel. It's like, well, Stop maybe we should have an open conversation about this. It would, at the end of the day, it would probably make things a lot better. Right? Well, it would. And what some couples do, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow a little bit, but they do money dates. Uh-huh. And, and uh, like, what? What's the money? Well, you just all get together one day, whether it's a Saturday or Sunday, just to go over the finances. Always one party's like, ugh, we do this again. No, you need to know. That's why you really know the good couples that one couple is so trusting of the other partner, and that's fine. But yet, that other partner does communicate and show, display finances, whether it's here are our statements, here's what we're spending. Um, The other party would know if the other party was doing something suspicious because the other party is trying to make it really well known that they are not. So everything is above above board. So these money dates, um, you know, can get interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, it, we are all busy during the week, and sometimes you kind of, you know, it's it's one week after the next, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, I don't even know how it's at the end of February already. I mean, I don't know where, you know, 2024 I is I feel like 2024 it. is gone it's already. already it's like already it's off to the races. Especially so with all the elections. I mean, everything gets pulled pulled so much into the present. It's just, it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. So I can how see. How fast things move. I can see how it's easy to lose that communication between a couple around money and finances. So to your point, you know, Rich, it, mm. you've got to make that time, whether if it's a money date, just get together over coffee, you know, you just, just carve out a little bit of time. Make it interesting. Do yeah. shots. Yeah, there you go. For every time you get an Amazon box, when you see Amazon charge, you take a shot or you play strip whiskey shots with strip Amazon or whatever. Make it interesting. Put more clothes on. If that's your thing. I hope nobody from our neighborhood is listening this morning. Yeah, yeah. That could get really interesting really quick. <laughs> With all those Amazon boxes. Oh, man. But we hope you tune in. So it gets complicated for people who have pensions and Social Security. Not pensions from the private sector. Let's say I work, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a teacher Right, I work, I'm a police officer, whatever it is. And I also have a pension, which means maybe I do not pay into Social Security. And this, this especially affects educators. Um, there's something called the WEP and the GPO, right? And the WEP, the windfall elimination provision and government pension offset, you, you have to work with somebody who understands how... One, Social Security spousal benefits and survivor benefits are going to be affected or how your benefit, your retirement benefit is going to be uh, taken into account because many people think that they can take both. And that's generally, well, they can take both, but what will happen is there'll be a reduction of some kind which I personally think is ridiculous. (laughs) I paid into Social Security. I get a pension. I should get both. That's how I look at it. There's legislation out there to try to battle this, but good luck. Seems simple to me. It seems simple to me. I work for both. 
So what's the windfall? I've given my time, my blood, my energy to a position, and this is a windfall. It is totally stupid. Oh, and by the way, Uh it's your money. Right. I paid in, right? Yeah. Can I get an amen on that? Yes, sir. I paid in. My employer paid into the other one, right? But I literally paid into this system. And you're telling me because I was fortunate enough to have this pension that I shouldn't get it. Well, well, because I didn't pay in all the way because I didn't pay in while I was working that job. But what if I worked another job? What if I worked part time? I worked partially in a job that did the pension and I worked partially outside. So what Social Security will tell you is, well, you're going to get both. You're just going to get less. Right. So I think your WEP, your windfall elimination provision, that's if you're covered and not covered. You're covered in a jobs. You're covered in a job by Social Security, not covered by Social Security, but you could have both, right? I have, cl- I have clients who have been teachers for years and then went in back and took a job. Mm-hmm. But they think they're going to collect both. And what happens is up front, I will tell you, John, they're not told. So they take the full benefit. And then when I look at their pensions and, let, and I do the formula for them, which you can do on even SSA.gov, mm-hmm. but we do it in our system, I'm like, you're going to owe the Social Security You're going to owe Social Security about $10,000. You're going to owe, and then they got a letter. <laughs> that's, a, that's an eye-opener, especially when you're not <sighs> expecting that. And I, I, this is such a, I know this is a topic that we all discuss here on a very regular basis, Rich, I know you do. I know Danny, Jonathan, Sarah, everybody here. And it's, it's very confusing, right. right? Right, because you can work for an agency that wasn't covered or didn't pay, or you did pay Social Security even while you worked for the government. You could have something called a 401A which is defined contribution plan. But I'll tell you, I went, dear client of mine had to battle Social Security, whether the pension was covered, like the person paid into Social Security or uncovered. And I said, You're, this is a defined contribution plan. You paid into Social Security. The Social Security individual is telling you that that's not the case. Thankfully, this client's brother also worked for Social Security, and he remembered some of the elements of this. So the, it, it was just, let's put it this way, it was a saga, and it was a lot of work and consistency to, for this client to do his homework on his own with me to go ahead and make sure, pull paperwork, pull statements to prove to the person at Social Security who knew less about it than he did that Listen, this isn't the type of pension you're thinking. My benefit, the benefits, my wife's benefits should not be cut because this was a 401A. And then all of a sudden, he, he gets the guy back, he gets the person back on the phone who looks at it and says, okay, let me pull something up. And he goes, oh, yeah, it looks like we're okay. Everything's fine. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, we're hoping the issue is resolved. But the thing you have to remember and the lesson from this you think you're calling Social Security Administration and getting a bona fide expert. And you might be for spousal and survivor, but maybe the plain stuff. But when it comes to stuff like this, you need to speak to somebody who studies Social Security. We do that here. And John, you just went through the certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain what is the NSSA. 
Yeah, the NSSA or the National Social Security Advisor designation, mm-hmm. and it's really it's. You and John, yeah, Jonathan Mc, uh, yeah. John McCarty, John McCarty, uh, uh-huh. Craig Severin, he's got the designation Craig's as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, several of us do, and, and very, all of us here are very well versed in in Social Security. But this, the the NSSA designation, you're really getting into the weeds and the nitty gritty around Social Security, and you know several of the points that you already mentioned too, Rich. You know, the spousal benefits, survivor benefits, widow benefits. What's the commentary such. on the weapon, the GPO? Do they have any? sage words or the confusion that well, is around this? Yeah, so uh, one of the instructors of the course actually worked with Social Security for uh, for just over 35 years, so uh-huh. he was really well-versed in everything, and he it was very eye-opening to me as I was going through the class. He said, you know, the, the folks that you visit with on the phone at Social Security, when you pick up the phone and you call Social Security mm-hmm. and you've got that representative on the phone, they, they put kind of the, the new folks, the newbies at Social Security on the front lines on the phone. And they typically, the folks on the phone typically have about six weeks worth of training. So they just kind of get them through the information and then they turn them loose on the phones, right? Now, I will say I've had many a phone calls with Social Security and the representative on the other line has been absolutely fantastic. And then there have been times I've made that phone call with clients and I conferenced uh, Social Security with it, all of us together. And it's just like, man, uh, let's 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 see if there's somebody else that we can talk with. So in the whole world of WEP and GPO, that government pension offset, and that can be significant because, you know, the they will reduce your Social Security benefit by two thirds of the amount of your pension. That's a big deal if they don't get that right. That is a big deal. Right? So you can have your survivor benefits cut. Yeah. If, if your high-earning spouse passes away or you're going to have your current benefit yes. cut. Something to keep in mind. When we get back, we're going to talk about, oh, retired Americans? You're all going back to work. The great, as I call it, the great unretirement when we get back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com oh just gonna start that with a groan every day show is killing me what now what to do if you're regretting retirement? Yes, there are people who do. Matter of fact, if you look at the various cohorts of people going back to work, age 70 to 75, there's been a huge spike since 2000. There are many reasons for it, but we talk about this transition out of work. Medicare FAQ did a study. And um, this transition out of work, not only about money, but other various aspects of living and any regrets that people have and many retirees do first of all the transition itself is a regret so one of my certifications certified exit planning uh, advisor talks about how small business owners sabotage their own sales of their business they they have no other life 
So when you help somebody unwind and get the most valuation out of their business, you also at the same time follow another road, a road of personal finance and discovery and planning. So when the time comes, the client is not sabotaging or regretting the transition and has their own life to lead and willing to let the business go. So, so these transitions, we call sometimes the black hole, that transition process, um, and it can be tough, especially for men. So there's 11 survey findings that are pretty interesting. So these were self, I mean, the sample's not that large, but 569 self-reporting retired Americans in January, but I do think it's very representative of what's going on. So the first one is 26% of retirees have regrets. Okay, not biggest regret though is financial, 78%. They didn't save enough or prioritize their finances. 52% regret not having prioritized their health. You see how these are connected, John, right? Very much so. I could have the money, but I don't have the health. So important. And that's why health and wellness and the Certified Financial Planning Board is taking on a whole new initiative, something we've been talking about for years, financial wellness and how to define it. My prediction, John, and I'll, you'll have to tell me, come to my grave, just look down all the way where I'm going and say, Rich, you were right. Advisors are going to hire nutrition coaches and lifestyle coaches. I They're going to have to do it because it's directly linked to the quality of life in retirement and just even through retire um, before retirement and life expectancy. You can't say, well, my parents died at 100, so I'm going to live to 100. Well, my parents, that, that does count for a certain percentage, but most of your issues are going to be lifestyle. And the finance piece, obviously, People regret sometimes not having a financial plan or they don't look to do one, John. And I think that's such a big mistake because at least one, not only are you figuring out how much money you need to meet your bills and do what you'd like to do, you're also resetting or setting your expectations. And some people have some very reasonable expectations and they're very surprised. I ran a plan with someone the other day. And they go, I don't have enough money. I don't have a lot of money and I don't have this. And well, I said, first of all, that you're telling me that, that I know you're saving because you're worried about it. People who worry actually save more money than people who don't, right? So we went through it and lifestyle was so reasonable. No, the assets weren't traumatic. Um, didn't pay in the max to social security. Plans to work part-time. I said, your plan works. He goes, it does? I went, yeah. So... The other part of the study, 60% of retirees didn't start investing early enough. Now that they're in retirement, 86% said, said they wish they had saved more. Starting early is so important. I push, you probably push this on your daughters, but oh, I push this with Haley when she had a job at HEB supermarket out here and we opened a custodial Roth IRA and we socked that money away. And I hope to understand is you're starting so early that it's very important. So how do you go about that, say, with your kids? What do you, how yeah, do you try so to tell them to, hey, you know, the earlier the better? The earlier the better. And now, you know, our oldest is graduated from college and mm -hmm. she started her first official career, you know, about six or seven months ago. Uh -huh. And so that savings mentality was already ingrained there, right? And now it's 
you know, Roth 401k and, you know, she's, she just, she had her, she received her first bonus and we're already talking about how to, how to <laughs> save that and how, and how to allocate Gosh, that. Dad, you, Dad you're right? such a buzzkill. She's like, but well, wait a minute. Well, you know, and so, but she's very, I mean, our, actually both of our girls are, are very good when it comes to, they, they know what they can spend and they know what they need to save. Right. But and we, I think women we started having those conversations at a young age. I think women especially. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Say they get married and one, they want to stay home and all that. But they also have to learn that they have to be a wager and eventually, and they can't just depend on someone to stick around. I mean, it's a terrible, dire thing to, to do, but I think I created a monster with my kid. But um, <laughs> I would do it all over again because she's very independent. Sure. Uh, but I think we have to teach women this. Yeah. It's I mean, very it's, it's funny. Our oldest is a, uh, she's an underwriter. She's a credit analyst. Oh, and boy. She said, you know, you know, and she's in a, very serious relationship with a young man, but uh, you know, I, she made the comment. She's like, you know, maybe I should look at your credit report, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, so it's funny you bring this up. I text Lance and Danny last Saturday because I'm watching Fox, and they're all riling. They're all railing against this new app, uh, dating app called Score, because the first thing it wants it matches people up based on their credit score which I've always taught Haley that you need to task the credit score. And so they're all banging on it because it's not romantic and there are more things because what, what if you had a bad issue? Your credit score tells you a lot about that individual. Responsibility. Mm -hmm. And you should know it. And if you both have good credit scores, they're saying, well, you both are, that means you're selfish. That was what they were saying on Fox. And I'm like shaking my head like, you're oh, selfish. my. selfish. Yeah, because really? you're only thinking of yourself, uh, and and I'm like, you all are way off target here, okay? Credit score, the studies show, people who focus on their credit score are just fiscally responsible, and if finances break up majority of marriages, why don't I do this? But I thought the app, I was like, why didn't I do this? It was genius. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. right? So you have to have a credit score of 695 or higher to be part of the uh, dating app. And they, and I'm like, oh, I'm all for this. Yeah, there were other things, but I need to know you are fiscally responsible. Because you notice couples, when they come in, one party might have been a stay-at-home person and the other one was working hard and all that but i but the party that stays home always minimizes their contribution and i'm like no don't you dare do that because you all aligned in your in your financial thinking that alignment was a synergy it created exponentially more wealth for both of you so don't discount the, the fact that it is both we got off on this tangent, but credit score and this score thing was, I thought it was genius. Well, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, there are a number of folks that, you know, I visit with that are, you know, they had their first marriage, mm -hmm. maybe it didn't work out, but now they've had a second marriage, now they're in their second marriage and they're unbelievably happy. I mean, it's a blessing and they're, they're in a great space. I bet they're very financially savvy and know what's going on. And, right? you know, it's not <laughs> uncommon when those couples remarry. That they keep their assets uh, separate, yes, because they were burned financially by their previous spouse before. Right? I I have a very dear woman who's a client, 
and she got divorced and she started all over again. I gave her so much credit. And she was dating this guy. The guy moves in and all of a sudden he's he's he, I, he's he's saying things that are giving me red flags. But what's cool is just she was calling me to say, hey, by the way, does this hmm. sound right? He wanted her to change her beneficiaries on her IRA to him, not her children. Hmm. And I said, no, this, this relationship has got to go. <laughs> she eventually kicked him out. Um, women especially have to be aware of this, but this, this, this second marriage thing is, yes, I have clients do the same thing because they also have children. Right. They have yes. done trust planning and mm -hmm. say, listen, I love you, honey, but my children are getting this. Mm -hmm. um, they also have joint accounts where maybe paychecks go in. Right. So and Correct. other things. Uh, but for the most part, their investing assets are separate or they have trusts, which I definitely if you're in a second marriage, I would absolutely say that's what you want to do. Then I have parties that say, OK, we bought the house together. Right. So this will go to you. So they, as they build assets in the second marriage, they're figuring out which goes to each other. And not only that, they're communicating it. Go ahead. That's to it. What? The kids. We did this together. That's why it's going to her or him. These assets are yours, not to be separated. So the kids are part of that and understand no one's trying to rip anybody off here or take away something that's entitled to them. But that communication always comes back to that, doesn't it? You know, I find that in those second marriages, where fo and, and folks are so happy and they're 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 just blessed to have each other, mm. that that communication in that second marriage is a lot more open and fluid <laughs> than it was in the first one. And that's probably one of the big mistakes that that ruined right. the first one, right? Yeah. But you learn mm -hmm. a lot. When we get back. We're going to talk about the uh, again. If you're regretting retirement, many retirees do. We're going to go through some of the other steps. We went off on a little bit of a tangent as usual. Stay tuned. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, we've been talking about this Medicare FAQ study. Um, what to do if you're regretting retirement? And many retirees do. One in 10 retirees delayed leaving the workforce. This is absolutely. This age 65 retirement goal is nebulous. Uh, it was created, it's stuck, but it's, 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 a, it's a moving target, right? 49% said they simply enjoyed working. 38% didn't have enough money. But the enjoyment of working, staying social, staying active is important. Obviously, if you work a job with physical labor, this makes sense. Um, but most of us don't. This is a service economy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you age faster if you're not engaged. 
you just fall off the face of the earth. Um, and it's important to stay active. So I know a lot of retirees that just do it because they want to have the ability to have conversations, learn new skills, right? There's brain, brain plasticity, right? And it, you, you can ignite, you can do things. And I, I'm not talking about puzzles. I always, when people talk about, oh yeah, we'll do a puzzle. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's like telling you like walking is such a great exercise. You're gonna, I'm like, okay. Um, I don't know, to me, maybe I'm, an ex, I'm a snob this way. And that's fine. That's the way I deal with it. Uh, I, I don't think you're pushing yourself enough. So working a job, working for a charity, talking to people every day, learning new skills, so important. And you see this, John, we oh, yeah. deal with most people that are late 60s, 70s, sharp as a tack in the 70s, still working, not because they need the money. So this makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, so last week, visited with a client. He's mm -hmm. 71 years young. And he is focusing, and he, he re he's retired. Uh -huh. He retired. But now he's thinking about maybe going back to work part-time. Mm-hmm. Because he misses, it's not so much the financial aspect of things. Yes, it's nice to have some income coming in. It, it is to have like a little bit of cash money in the pocket for right. things that you didn't plan for. And you just know that you have a little bit more financial flexibility. Yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. But no. it's that sense of community. Yeah. Right? It's the involvement and that purpose. And just loves interacting with people and misses that, right? Mm -hmm. And he's really taking this time, 71 years young. And he's in the gym almost every day. Looks oh. great. Okay. Has more energy than I do, right? So you're talking uh, about the health aspect of things too, absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it is amazing uh, to see some clients in their 70s and 80s that look and act at least 10 years absolutely. younger. Absolutely. And it's because of the physical activity and the mental activity mm -hmm. and attitude to aging, right? You can treat aging like I'm old, I can't do it. I don't, well, we'll never say it, right? So keep that in mind. So nine in 10 retirees enjoy being retired. 40% of retirees said, hey, it was easier than expected. But 23%, the finding the purpose and mm -hmm. fulfillment, that part to me is the most important. You're not done. Matter of fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about all these uh, 60 people that were 65, 68, 70, and like, I'm just starting the next cycle of what I want to do. It's the next these, chapter these of my life, your, right? These are not your grandparents. <laughs> or, they're, they're not, you know, they're not. They're, they don't look at retirement the same way. It, it is very different. And I think it's great. I, I think too. it's great. I mean, how many times, I mean I, I mean, I know I get this call a lot where folks retire, and then about six or nine months later, I get a <laughs> phone call. John on board. Uh -huh. Going back to work. Uh-huh. I've already cleaned up my garage four times. I've done all my landscaping. I can't do anymore. I'm going back to work. Plus, my, all wife, right. my wife will kill me. And my I wife wants me out of the house. <laughs> that too. That's the reason. I met with a couple, and she goes, yeah, we bought a new car um, and uh, or a new truck. And I said, oh, well, you know, we didn't put that in the plan. It's not like you needed it. No, he needed it because he needs to get out of the house, and he'll <laughs> sleep in the truck because he's not going to be in this house. So um, That's fine. Um, 93% of retirees say they can do things they couldn't while working full-time. How many times do you get that's a, the uh, comment, I, I don't know how I was ever working? Yeah, because they're busier now than what they were ever before. Right. Yeah, but it's just filling up their time with other things that they are truly interested in. 
Right. right. And 18% of retirees will currently volunteer their time. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Um, lots of volunteers needed for things that you find important. Um, matter of fact, I have people that will say, you know, I don't have any heirs and I need to leave a legacy. I don't know what to do. I said, well, I, I have some charities in mind. I said, before you do that, and I understand national charities are fine. Look at some local ones, mm -hmm. but go to work with them first. This is a passion you have. You know you do. Now go and see if you can do some work for them to see that I feel very comfortable giving them my money when I'm gone. Right? Okay. So 82%, I love this, of retirees are prioritize their health. To stay fit, 60% of retired Americans are cooking more healthful meals, seeing their doctors when they need to. Um, being up and about is very important. 53% report they dedicate time to exercise and 41% say they are more active than ever. And this is so important. I read a study from Adenovo's labs, which I subscribe to, um, about the exponential benefits, John, of exercise. I mean, and, and hard exercise for maybe 30 minutes a day, not just walking, but heavy aerobics, strength training, mm -hmm. and what it adds to your life. It's, it's not a small number. It, 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 it's, it's, it's dramatic. It's dramatic. More than anything else you do, the exercise is the most important thing. I do Orange Theory. I got, I got Lance hooked on it because <clears throat> I need someone to push me along. I don't like going to the gym and just lollygagging around. Um, I go in, work out, leave. Um, but I think any kind of aerobic exercise, you're running 10 minutes a day and then you're doing strength training or core training, you think it doesn't add up. But it, it's, it, it is. The studies are just astound, astound me as far as the benefits. Well, I, I just know I, I like to exercise regularly uh -huh. throughout the week. If I can get four, maybe five days in. It's good for your head, a, isn't it? It's, well, it's good I just, for your stress. I and, eat better. Uh -huh. I sleep better. I'm just, just a better overall, overall just a better person. You know, if two or three days go by and I haven't lifted weights Don't or done you feel, something, I, I, feel I like, get a little edgy. Uh -huh. and, and Shauna, she'll look at me. She's like, go work out. Yeah. Just, just get out of here. I'm like, the okay. anxiety... So if you are working a very stressful job, the endorphins from, from exercise, um, the after effect, the afterburn, as I call it, is so important. So even though sometimes I dread going to run or doing whatever in the class, I'm like, you know what? I remember how I feel the next day, right? 56% 56, 56 of retirees spend more quality time with loved ones, mm -hmm. more quality time with their partner. That's great grandkids right you know today's economy grandparents are so important they're almost co-parenting helping to raise those kids because of the part two parties working uh, grandparents have become an integral part of the family and not that they don't love it it's just that it the, the relevance from an economic perspective and raising children is so important see so, a lot of that yes so that definitely makes uh, sense. 24% of retirees don't have children. 27% of retirees without children, so they wish they had them. This is what I worry about with this generation. That they're maybe missing out. Obviously, our demographics are the worst they've been as far back as at least World War II. And China, forget it. They're going backwards. So 
demographics are so important to an economy and there is a level of satisfaction with having children. People are waiting longer. I get that. They want to be more financially stable. I don't have any issues with that. You can see a lot of older parents than you have in the past. But the, the ability to see your next, what you created, your legacy, your grandchildren, mm -hmm. um, I think more people will regret that as they move forward and maybe not have them. I mean, how many times when you're putting together a financial plan for a client and let's say they have, they have children mm -hmm. and they have, now they have grandchildren and the conversation comes up, well, hey, are you staying in Houston? Are you going to stay in Arizona? Are you going to stay in Minnesota where they live? And usually I hear, well, it kind of depends where our grandbabies go. <laughs> where, where are the grandchildren at? It's nice to see our kids, but where are the grandbabies at? That's where, I, I, that's where we're going to move to, you, <laughs> right? It really is something. It is. You know why I think it is? Because as you're raising your children... You're so occupied with career. I mean, you're doing things with them, but now if you have more time, there are certain things you would probably do with your grandchildren that you didn't do with your children with your that children. you wish you could have done. Mm -hmm. So I have one client that said, I had to tell my daughter this. I had to tell my daughter, I'm sorry. I was, I was away from my job so many times. <clears throat> now that I'm retired, I'm going to do some of these things that I couldn't do with you. And... This open communication with her was, I, I, I don't know, it touched me. Absolutely. I thought it was, it was great that he shared that. She, and she didn't feel like she messed anything. The daughter was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, he says, well, I feel it. So I want you to understand that if you see me doing more stuff with them than I did with you, it's because I have the time. I would have done it with you. But I was raising a family and building, you know, building the wealth and the house and making sure everybody was secure. And that was on my mind. So it just was in, interesting to mm -hmm. see. So 38% of retirees have career choice regrets. For 35% of retirees, the biggest regret is failure to achieve better work-life balance. We just talk about this. This is where I will tell you Gen Z's got it right. They don't put the job above and beyond everything they do, and they don't want to be chained to a desk. I, frankly, I don't think that's an issue. And I know a lot of Gen Z's who work very, very hard. Mm -hmm. So... Well, that's all we got, everyone. Hope you have a great weekend. Monday, Mr. Roberts is back in town. Well, he's back here. He never leaves town. He never leaves his computer. We don't let him. Yeah, we chain them. Thanks again, guys.